Hi, my name is Quanice Floyd. And I'm Peter Dayton. Welcome to the Embrace Podcast. A program of the Embrace series, which is a partnership between arts education in Maryland schools and the Maryland State Department of Education Fine Arts Office. This podcast will examine the human side of arts education and is an opportunity to highlight arts educators from around the state of Maryland. During each episode, we will interview an arts educator to talk about their journey. Each interviewee will be facilitating a workshop as a part of the Embrace series. Our guest today is Michael Bell. They are the Fine Arts Coordinator for Queen Anne's County Public Schools, and they are facilitating the Power of the Prompt, an Embrace session for Maryland's Creative Teaching Force on Monday, April 20th from 1 p.m. to 1.45 p.m. Michael, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Peter. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Michael, so if you could define your work, what would you call it? Uh, Quanice, I would say I would define it as cinematic. I've, I've grown to believe that the most important job of an artist is to draw a line from your life to your art that's straight and clear. And that translates for me into creating worlds where stories are born. My uh, larger than life-size narrative paintings, they can all stand on their own, but when placed together at a gallery exhibition in a particular viewing order, they tell a much greater tale, a cinematic tale, kind of like storyboards from a movie, but with much greater depth and with many layers of meaning, as I like to refer to them as. So I definitely say cinematic. Uh, Michael, for your um, for your medium and and the general size that you work in with your visual art, um, how would you how would you describe your the materials of your practice? Well, my process, it's always begun in a visual journal, and then it transcends from the visual journal into larger paintings that are anywhere from 60 by 60 to 48 by 96. Uh, I like the larger than life size, so you feel like you could literally uh, dive into the space. Holy cow. Yeah, that's like a bed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I work with, you know, oils on canvas Mm -hmm. and mixed media as well, mixed media and collage. I collage maps in a lot of my work as a background as well. So is there somewhere where we can direct listeners to view your work uh, online? Sure. My website is mbellart.com. Excellent. Thank you. That's awesome. Great. So just taking a couple of steps back, can you tell us how you became involved in the arts? Like what sparked your passion for creating? Sure. Well, talking about drawing that line from my life to my art, my line can be traced back to my grandmother, Violet. She was a self-taught artist from Lyndhurst, New Jersey, and worked with me for an early age. I won my first art show at the age of five and never looked back. My parents, they both really encouraged me to pursue my art, which I imagine was probably a rare thing back then. My mother was an elementary educator. My father, uh, a football coach uh, in high school, physical educator. So I, I, I think that that much, you know, it just meant a lot to me that they believed in my art even before it was something that they really truly understood. They'd spend their weekends sitting with me as I competed outdoor art shows, give me that exposure of living life uh, like an artist. So my childhood definitely left a lasting mark on me in what I paint and also why I paint it. It, it sounds like a parental support. Uh, and I know this myself in my own artistic uh, growth and practice. Parental support makes such a big difference in how children um can explore their potential and and truly embody it in their work. Um, so you you clearly had a lot of support from your parents who were involved as educators. Uh, but could you talk about 
the role that um, your experience in the education system played in introducing you to the arts and cultivating your creativity? Sure. Well, it's interesting. I, I know that there's everyone's fueled by different reasons. Some people are fueled because of the inspiration that they had. And, it, and I always tried to cultivate that in my own students when I was teaching. But my experience with education actually had the opposite effect on me, be it, believe it or not. It was, it was such a terrible art experience, especially during my teenage years, that I felt like I was left to hang out to dry. And with all this raw talent, nobody helping me, and it's probably why I became the great teacher that I did. It solidified my why later on when I got into teaching, which is catch kids before they fall and do for them what nobody ever did for me. And it's it's probably why my kids went on to do the unprecedented, earning over $10 million in scholarships my last five years in the classroom alone, going on to the most prestigious art schools uh, anywhere in the world. But you know, identity, it's, it's a funny thing. And just when you think you define yourself or life has defined you, there's always another chapter. And as artists, especially during this pandemic, I believe we just, you know, we not, need to constantly grow. So for me, I use that fuel and uh, I used it to in, inspire me to do something more for kids than was ever done for me. It's funny. I, uh, I've often noticed how in, in people's sort of life path, you can clearly see that they're going either directly in the grain that was uh that was planed out for them or directly against it and it sounds like you uh you found a world um that told you exactly how not to do things and then you set about trying to do it better yeah i've always been about challenging the process and it's an interesting it's an interesting career path when when i look back on it and sometimes i can look back at my career through just the the years I would spend focus on certain things, as I'm sure you can imagine also. And it started out for me painting portraits for lots of celebrities when I was getting my uh, career started from shows like The Sopranos, Goodfellas, Bronx Tale, a lot of those uh, New York style actors from where I grew up around. And, you know, that always led me to believe I'd just become known as Michael Bell, the artist. But then when I got into teaching and that led me into public speaking, doing uh, writing books, TED Talks, all that stuff. And eventually it led me to become a, a supervisor, which it was never on my radar, never set it out in my intentions that this is what I want to become. So I think it's important for everybody out there to get comfortable getting outside of your comfort zone and take risks. And until you do, you never know what you're going to be capable of. Um, how did you come to uh, find Maryland or, or call Maryland your home coming from New Jersey? Well, it, you know, Maryland, uh, it's it's always been on my radar when I was applying for jobs. I was actually living in Manhattan at the time, and I applied for a teaching position everywhere when I got out of college. And Maryland just was the only hit. So <laughs> I packed up and packed up and started my career. Wow. I don't know if you know, but I grew up in New York too. I grew up in Staten Island. So okay. yeah. <laughs> I found my way down here. Um, so our journeys are, are somewhat similar. Um, <laughs> but I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, the actual Embrace series. Sure. Um, your uh, session is the power of the prompt. Can you tell us 
more about what you're presenting and and how you're presenting it and the meaning behind what you're presenting. Sure. Uh, the power of the prompt, it's an innovative opportunity to encourage experimentation and risk-taking in art and embracing our current limitations as inspirations during COVID-19. It's going to explore visual journaling prompts, as well as an innovative 31 Nights project that I created many years ago, which is still very popular across the nation. And it's going to introduce visual arts teachers out there that are struggling to come up with innovative approaches to how they're engaging students during this pandemic. So think of like guys grocery games or chopped, but in art, working with our limitations as a series of just dynamic challenges for kids out there, that's that's what I'm going to be introducing. And it it has, I mean, it really has powerful impacts because what it's really doing is it's forcing kids to think for themselves and surrounding a prompt. There's many ways you can attack a national art standard through a prompt. And it, it opens the door to authenticity and originality in work. So it's not a factory-made preset project that a teacher can even do that technical demo for. So it's a, it's a unique balance of technical and conceptual approaches all rolled up into a, an interesting challenge. I think one of the, the things that uh, families are struggling with as well is, is ways for kids to express themselves right now, yes. um, especially, especially considering they can't be socializing with their peers in person at school. Um, I'm sure that something that these prompts will be really helpful in in creating ways for uh, students as well as possibly um, uh, adult arts educators to uh, express themselves in a in a way that that's probably very healthy and important right now. Well, it is, and I I think when when Alicia first said let's name this embrace, I, I immediately thought of how are we going to continue to embrace our students during mm. this pandemic when you literally can't go within six feet of every, anyone and you can't see your physically see your students. And in the art, you know, studio, that's a, that's a critical place where you could walk into the art studio in five minutes, get feedback from 25 different people on whatever you're working on. That's unprompted. So how are we going to respond to this as an arts community, keeping whatever these new norms everyone's dealing with in their lives, social, emotional learning, mental health as a major priority moving forward. I think it's very important. Now, um, I'm sure one of the things that, that you'll be talking about in it, so I, I don't want to, I want to tease it a little bit, but don't That's want right. to get too far into it, is, um, is access to materials. Because of course, everyone's going to be doing this from their own homes. Yep. Um, they and probably will not want to go out shopping to get X or Y. Nope. Uh, objects. So I'm, I'm sure that you've created this in such a way that it's versatile for materials that people could have on hand. Of course, also digitally, we've got access to a lot of programs that can let people create through there as well. There are. There's a lot of there's a lot of digital ways that you can uh, connect with this as well. But I, I'm really primarily going to focus on the visual journaling aspect because everyone has access to a book. Even if it's not a sketchbook, it could be an old book that's a discarded book, that's a book that you're not using anymore that you could turn into an altered book. 
and pretty much everybody out there at least has some pencils or some pens or uh, some materials that are on hand that they they could use and you could use i mean you could even go a little further if you have access to glue sticks and newspapers or magazines and you want to get into also collage or some mixed media stuff that's definitely allowable too but i'm going to i'm going to treat this very hands on in a very minimalist mm -hmm. uh, approach so that everyone would have equitable access to attempting the visual journaling process as really just kind of a way to break down uh self exploration and visual communication and keep those keep those walls down between teachers and students so that they can communicate effectively with one another and really get to know what their true process is. So is this something you envision as um, as a project that that people I don't want to say keep to themselves, but is this something that is is sort of for teachers and students or is this something that you uh, envision or or imagine could be something that then people share on social media and and create sort of a dialogue between each other's visual journals? It's it's everything. It's all of the above, Peter. It's you know, people can, they, they could actually do this and treat it as a, you know, visual journaling could become a visual diary as well, mm -hmm. which is a record of the, the way we think it gets us out of reflex and into the immediacy of what's going on in our lives. It could be explored through a series of self portraits as prompts, which I'm also going to dive into and where you're really thinking about your world. It could be an intersection between art and writing where you're taking the prompt and you're writing about it, which could fuel ideas that could turn into future works. It could also take you from the sketchbook to some non-traditional visual journals and some non-traditional ways of working that maybe you never thought of before because you're working under these extreme limitations of whatever we have here at home. And definitely you could share them out online. And my 31 Nights project, if you go on pretty much any social media platform and hashtag 31 Nights, you're going to see students who have done this across the nation from keynotes that I've done at various art education association conferences at state conferences. So students are trying it out there. Artists, you don't have to be a student or a teacher. Any artist could do this and really just connect with your own art making process. That's awesome. So, Michael, your work intersects um, teachers, parents, and being an advocate for arts education in general. Yes. And so I guess my, one of my final questions would be, what is your advice to teachers who are currently going through, you know, this pandemic, uh, especially arts educators? What are what some words of wisdom that you might have for them? Well, I've, from from moment one, I'm, I'm very fortunate to work in Queen Anne's County where our, our superintendent, our deputy superintendent, both from day one, their directive to us was slow and steady, be flexible, be empathetic with families. Mm. People are going through things that most people couldn't even imagine right now. Some are more impacted than others. We don't know. In some cases, it's financially. In other cases, it's you know through health. So I think that that, I mean, for me, that's been my message to my teachers as well. Do not overwhelm families. I mean, I've seen districts that, that are getting raked over the coals because they went overboard with uh, where their continuity of learning plans turned into this full-blown, almost like, 
you know, if you're just working strictly from home 24 seven with these kids and it's not realistic for every parent and every kid's got a different situation and every kid has different ac equitable access to things like the internet and you name it. So I've, my message has been slow and steady and just be that, be that person for those kids that they can go to. I mean, the arts has always been at the forefront whenever there's been a major crisis in the world artists have always stepped forward as leaders and they're some of the first people to say what can we do to help so that's been my message and it hasn't been heavily rooted in let's make sure that we get this lesson out that lesson out it's really been rooted in how can we keep kids engaged in thinking about creativity during this pandemic that's awesome now just uh just to remind our listeners michael your uh presentation is happening again on i believe uh monday april 20th from 1 to 1 45 p.m correct excellent Great. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining us today. Um, this has been an excellent, excellent, excellent conversation. Please be sure to tune into Michael's presentation Monday, April 20th at 1 o'clock p.m. We look forward to our next uh, session, which will be coming out next week. Um, and thank you so much again, Michael. Thank you for, for all of your wisdom, your all of your work, and your dedication to the students, families, and teachers of Maryland. Kwanis and Peter, thank you for having me on. And I'm, I'm just really excited to launch this innovative project. Alicia Lee, man, she's a, she's a visionary putting this together so quickly. And I'm just happy to be a part of it and doing what I can for teachers and parents and communities out there. Thanks so much, Michael. We really look forward to, uh, to attending the session. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Embrace podcast. For more information on arts education in Maryland schools, visit aems-edu.org. To learn more about the Embrace series and how to register for a session, go to msdefinearts.org. Stay safe and stay creative. <laughs>